cellar, man. There's no room in the danger zone for your kind or your money. No, you're a bad check, million dollar man, yeah. And the macho man is gonna bounce you out of here for good. Millions beats the madness. Macho talks and money walks, yeah. Whoa! That macho man has taken one too many guitars to the head. The million dollar man has brought class and fiscal responsibility to the World Wrestling Federation. Unlike what the macho man brings to the ring, tonight you'll see what I bring to the ring, and it's worth its weight in gold. <laughs> Brutus the Barber says heads up, because you're on the cutting edge of sports entertainment. Tonight includes my hair-raising match with Greg the Hammer Valentine. It'll be a sheer delight. Yo, everybody, yeah, this is the Slickster here with an Olympic update. Tonight, right here in Nashville, Tennessee, baby, Kim Patera is going to do what all American Olympians do best. He's going to lose to the one-man game, daddy. This is Bobby the Brain Heenan with an exclusive. On the last main event, you saw Andre the Giant humble Hulk Hogan. Well, tonight, you're going to see Hulk Hogan on his hands and knees, showing proper respect to the king, Harley Race. Long live the king. Hogan, you will either bow or you'll break. The holster will never bow. The holster will never break. Better men than Bobby the Weasel Heenan and Harley Race have tried to conquer the power of the Hulkamaniacs. But tonight, Harley Race will be crowned like he's never been crowned before. We've talked about Beefcake a lot more than I thought we would, but I wanted to have a segue. So I was having a little read-up on Ed. So uh, on November the 7th, 2013, this is in the whole uh, Toronto Mayor Rob Ford crack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thing. So Ed Leslie went to Toronto City Hall with a pair of shears (laughs) and a Subway sandwich, (laughs) (laughs) claiming that... Toronto Mayor Rob Ford needed an intervention. This is like Gaza. Yes, exactly. And he offered to be Rob Ford's angel of mercy, (laughs) saying that maybe if he gets his body right, he'll be able to get his mind right. Obviously, security escorted him from the property when it became apparent that Leslie wasn't actually trying to save Rob Ford, but was trying to advertise the sandwich that he was holding. And I need to point out that it was a, it's noted as being a submarine sandwich, so it's maybe not Subway. Imagine, but, uh, imagine if Brutus the Barber Beefcake, like now in 2021, became the face of Subway. Oh, we did about this as well. Because the mental images, were, were Beefcake going to Toronto City Hall with his shears and his sandwich? Uh, it was November the 7th, 2013. On November the 6th, 2013, the Iron Sheik had also <laughs> tried to visit Rob Ford, apparently, at Toronto City Hall, and it challenged him to an arm wrestling match. <laughs> was this also in aid of the promotion of the submarine sandwich? That is unclear. I, I'm going to be honest, I don't think they are in chic. Having seen a few interviews with him, probably knows what a submarine sandwich is. <laughs> I'm not I sure think, I do either. 
No, but, I don't think he would care either. I think he would just get give me no. the money and I'll do whatever he yeah. wants me to do. Whenever I think of Subway sandwiches or Subway adverts, I think I've shown this to you, old man. But there, there's a in in the states when I was over there, they were launching a new type of sandwich, and there's this advert where it's like a gender reveal party. So they've got all these people, all these people in this garden party, and they're like, and this is a couple like, hey guys, are you ready? Are you ready? Like that, and they launch, they like launch this firework off. And this banner comes down behind him and says, Congratulations, it's a ciabatta. And they were going, Yes! Yes! And they're so happy about it. It's so well, I think we've got the uh, start of episode intro bit uh, nailed out there. <laughs> And welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. And now we're not all that far away from WrestleMania season, but we've still got a couple of stops on the way before we get there. Starting with this WWE Saturday Night's main event from March 1988. Their final big push for pay-per-view buys ahead of WrestleMania 4. Before we get into the details, however, I do need to first launch into my latest inadequately thought-out introduction from my co-hosts. A pair of Bolsheviks, if ever I'd seen one. Firstly, we have Nikolai Sam Kerikoff. How are things, old man? <laughs> That's, oh, got to be honest, mate, that's a bloody stretch. But it's always good to be compared to Nikolai Volkov because it's happened many times before. If I had a pound for every time someone had come up to me on the street, they'd go, Nikolai! Has anyone screamed at you, Nikolai Volkov! Like I did with Shane Matt that time. <laughs> they haven't, unfortunately, no. Yeah, but yeah, uh, it's great to be here discussing Saturday night's main event on what has swiftly become for everybody Sunday night's main event. It absolutely is Sunday night's main event. Brilliant. Love it. Love it. I should have put that in the intro. You've been thinking about that, have you, old man? That, that's I have. I'll be honest. A couple of days ago. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I uh, I watched this on Thursday, and I was just thinking, I never really know what to say at the start, because a little peep behind the curtain for the listener, every now and then, I just kind of don't really know what's going on. <laughs> and uh, I always forget to think what I'm going to say when Ben throws to me. And uh, I thought, that popped into my head on Thursday. I was like, I'm writing that down, because that's gold. <laughs> it is indeed. And you've already heard him. His tag team partner is, of course, Tom Smith Zukov. Now, Tom Smith... Boris, they almost sound the same, right? <laughs> so it's about as as good as I could do. How are you doing, Tom? Well, it's the same amount of syllables, I suppose, isn't it? So exactly. you kind of there to an extent. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Name really fast. It sounds like Boris. It doesn't, but I'll let you have it. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. Yeah, good, thank you. We all know, uh, and anybody who's listened to any previous episodes knows that this is this is my. You're right on my alley. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to having a little chat about this one. It's in the Goldilocks zone of your wrestling history, isn't it, this one? What? You, you don't know what the Goldilocks zone is? No. The Goldilocks zone is an astronomical term for where the Earth lies relative to the sun. So basically, the Earth lies in the Goldilocks zone where basically it's not too close, it's not too far, it's just in the right amount of space where life can live. So they use it to measure whether other planets in the universe are potentially habitable for living things and then if, if there's a planet that lies in that zone <laughs> they're considered to be a potential fountain of life so i guess what i'm saying <laughs> in a roundabout way is that 1988 is is in your goldilocks zone of wrestling history 
It's not too yeah. far away. It's not too recent. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. Let's, be, let's talk about this very tough a little bit. She was a real entitled bitch. Long, 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 <laughs> I was surprised the Bears ate her or whatever they did at the end of it. That well, they should have if they didn't because it's coming into bed, messing up their beds, eating their porridge. What fucking cunt. <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't want to call this my god long zone, so I don't want to be associated with that kind of behaviour. Let's just say it hits me right in my G-spot. <laughs> I think the point to say is it doesn't hit you in the G-spot because there isn't a specific place. It's kind of quite a wide region of, of years to be in your... So, so is Tom's G-spot. Yeah. <laughs> Spanning the decades. <laughs> let's move away from this as quickly as we possibly can this this i don't know where we've gone in this talking complete and utter bollocks <laughs> it's saturday night's main event number 15 from march 1988 now um as you say tom this is in your kind of very special place so why don't we start with you what was your overall thoughts about the show uh in general well I, i'll be honest i loved it I also it's in uh, nashville tennessee where i have been um, <laughs> i've got a great attachment to, to it any um any any recommendations for people as they're visiting Nashville? I tell you right, so Nashville is renowned for having basically every bar has got a rooftop terrace and it's amazing. So every pretty much every bar you can go to, uh, you can sit up on the rooftop and just watch uh, the main Broadway is like the main road where all the bars are in Nashville. It's very good. There's also a very nice Italian restaurant called uh, Demos, which was delicious, and I still get emails from them from time to time. Wow. I feel regretful that I can't eat be eating there at the moment. So it's it's a lovely, lovely place. It's quite a nice city. I'm not a big fan of country music, so it's a bit odd. There's this kind of like element of where I think of myself as being reasonably I know a little bit about a lot of things, but country music is something I've got no interest in, and it's so weird being somewhere that is so huge hugely synonymous with something that I've got no interest or knowledge about. It's really, right. really odd, a really strange feeling, but it's a lovely place. Anyway, that's not what people have come to listen to. No, but no, that's true. But we are trying to get you the gig for the relaunch of ITV's Wish You Were Here. So we're, we're well on our way to doing that right now. <laughs> yeah, OK, good work, good work. Um, Yeah, no, I love I love everything about it. I love the presentation. I love the fact that ev- the fact that everyone is massively over on the entire card. It's the fact that these shows were like semi-regular but they're always leading up to a big event always makes it feel that kind of that element that there's something special going on i mean i can watch any card with randy savage and ted dibiase on especially around this period so that was it was lovely finding out that there was a match with these two on it what i love about this era is that there's because there weren't so many hours of content to film I mean, they still had like regular tv shows they still had prime time and they still had tuesday night titans and stuff like that but because there wasn't like a, a monday night raw and a smackdown and and a whatever else on the time they're still referencing stuff that happened at the previous year's wrestlemania yeah and at the previous and the main event that happened subsequently as a result from it and it really feels like there's like a real concentration on the continuity of the long-term kind of storyline aspect of, around these pay-per-views, around these 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 events, and that's why I like them so much because it's not that kind of throwaway programming which I feel you get with a lot of wrestling these days, especially around the, the you know the, two, the main event of the of the pay-per-view. It all feeds into everything that's happened from the previous mania following up to the to the, to the next mania, which is going to happen shortly. I love it. Good stuff, old man. The main thing that I thought when I was watching this was just imagine if this was a thing now and you're like, even as a 37 year old man, just every now and then, like Tom said, just before one of the uh, big four pay-per-views, you get an hour and a half of brand new, fresh content, not tainted by everything around it, like 
Tom's alluded to with the product now, where there's just so much content. It was just, it's just wonderful. I mean, I could just imagine watching this with my family when I was a kid and just absolutely lapping it up, just listening to Vince and Jesse. What a lovely old time. You said a lot of interesting stuff there. First of all, I want to say about the thing Tom said about throwaway. So I think actually what appears, I, I entirely get what you're saying, and I actually absolutely agree with it but i also think there's an element to which the whole show is really throwaway like nothing massive happens nothing major happens nothing really significant actually happens when you look at it in the cold light of day you could go back and watch the main event that they talk about during this show that had happened in february where all the all the big storyline stuff had happened that led up to wrestlemania 4 and not have seen this and and be none the none the less off for it it's not like you it's not must see but it's also very enjoyable. It's an hour of very fast paced, quite loud, quite colorful um, stuff. It actually really reminded me of Saturday night's Ant and Dex Saturday night's takeaway. Like it is the same format. It's basically go here, do something, see someone do a promo, have a match, which lasts like five minutes. You know, have, have Vince McMahon shouting at somebody. Have, have, you know, Jesse Ventura getting all excited about Brutus the Barber Beefcake's um, wrestling attire and all that kind of stuff. It's, it moves so fast and so rapidly. It absolutely reminds me of just a very typical primetime Saturday night family television show, which I'm not knocking it for because that's exactly why it was so popular. That's exactly why it reached such huge levels of popularity. They referenced during the show that the previous main event show had reached 35 million people. Um, it was one of the most watched wrestling shows of all time the the hogan andre rematch from the previous show um so you know i'm not knocking it but that's kind of the feel it's like you can sit down watch it and to be honest if you watched another few episodes of this afterwards you'd forget about it because it, it isn't particularly important it isn't particularly valuable but it certainly does the trick that's my view anyway and i'm sure uh, we will get into more of that in detail in a moment so Let's uh, get into the show itself, shall we? We start with a slew of promos by a number of people <clears throat> who are going to be involved in the show during the night. So we've got uh, Randy Savage, Ted DiBiossi, Roots the Barber Beefcake, Slick and One Man Gang, Bobby Heenan and Harley Race, and Hulk Hogan. Uh, old man, why don't you get us started off with this stuff? The first thing to point out is Macho Man. There he is. What a lad. That's a... Uh... Decent promo. And uh, I won't run through all of them, but because Macho Man was obviously fighting the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, DiBiase cuts a pretty standard promo. Always loved Virgil just counting the money. Absolutely loved it. I think in this promo, it's actually only just, he's only holding the money. He's fanned them out, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, his arms are massive because there's a lot of money in his hand. And uh, the million dollar man, he's, like I said, he's cutting a pretty standard promo. And then he alludes to the fact that he's got a fiscal responsibility to the WWF, which I thought was an absolutely lovely touch. And as a kid, would have gone straight over my head. But as a, as a fully formed adult, I thought, that's lovely. That's absolutely lovely. Fully formed. That's a bit. That's a bit uh, stretching, <laughs> isn't it? A bit, a little bit. <laughs> well, I'm kind of gone fully formed, and now I'm going back to baby because, as <laughs> as we've alluded to before, I have no hair. <laughs> you have plenty of hair, old man. Just not on your head. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, my <laughs> balls are hairy. <laughs> Tom, what did you think of the promos? Oh yeah, well, like you, I, you can imagine what happened to my face the second, the second <laughs> semen. That, I mean, I, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm wearing, I'm wearing my Macho Man t-shirt right now, if you boys can see, but I, I was watching that. Look, the Deep Biassi thing, going on to the money, I didn't think it is lots of money because he start, Virgil's holding $1 bills. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't pay that much attention to it. Yeah, just, just $1 <laughs> bills. Um, you get a little... A little um, crap promo from Beefcake afterwards where he's going like it's going to be a sheer delight and I'm going to be cutting something and it's going to it's awful then, then the one my gang, gang of slick ones quite interesting because the ridiculous over the top pimpishness of slick is really on display then and then just at the end of it just as he's about to start talking one man gang goes <laughs> for no reason and then we get a Harley race he sounds like he's just swallowed gravel and he's like, Hogan, you're going to bow before me. Or something like that. And then there's a general, general Hogan promo afterwards. And then the then the video package comes in. And I don't know if you had anything more to say about the interviews, Tinky, but I'm desperate to talk about this video package. Uh, I enjoy the fact that Harley Race is the king. He's not in the best shape, I think is fair to say. He's kind of King Henry VIII at this point, Harley Race. <laughs> uh, Hogan says that he's going to crown him. Like he's never been crowned before. <laughs> so I thought I'd look up what crowning means. Just to be bludgeoned with a blunt instrument. <laughs> I did notice as well that um that Hogan's promo seemed to be direct riposte to yes. Harley Races, whereas it didn't feel like any of the others had had the chance to see what the others had said. But clearly, when they recorded Hogan's promo, they said, here, Hogan, this is what Harley Race says. <laughs> Say what you want in, in response. That quite often happened at this time, though, with Hogan. Because I can remember if you watch, like, his 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 promos would always, always be slightly different to everyone else's. Like, think about the beginning of um, Survivor Series 89, when they have the amazing Thanksgiving thing. There's everyone... If every single promo, apart from the warrior at the beginning, who rambles on about thanks being given this day because of the bloodshed of their ancestors, whatever the fuck he's talking about, then everyone's like, I'm thankful for my good looks, I'm thankful for blah, blah, blah. The end of it, Hogan's promo is completely different in a different format to all of the other ones, obviously in order to make him stand out. Yeah, no, totally. It just, it just, I just noticed it here where Hogan actually responded almost to Harley Race and Bobby Heenan. Was it just Harley Race, actually, wasn't it? Bobby Heenan was there. I get confused because there were so many promos during this show that yeah. um, it's hard to keep up with. Um, so then we had the video package. So, Tom? So the video package is it's the, the music the amazing music which I, I love the Saturday night's music main events music um, and it shows like loads of loads of like really interesting like bits of action and stuff but there's one bit in it where it shows Greg the Hammer Valentine walking along really really slowly and delivering a really crap elbow drop to Coco Beware <laughs> and it's not exactly the height of like anticipation he's walking he takes about six or seven tiny little steps it looks like he's just shit himself and then he just and he's winding up his arm and just delivers this really shit elbow drop and it was like that was your selling point on this promo for the high octane action that we're about to see and then at the end of it you see Hulk Hogan throwing a headmaner out of the ring, oh. out of the ring, and he massively overshoots it, yeah. and yeah. He, he manages to throw him over Andre and Ted DiBiase and Virgil, and he just fucking fucking fucks him down the aisle. It's amazing to see someone not built like Spike Dudley get thrown that far. Fuck me, I would not, I would not have taken that. It strikes, it strikes to me of Hogan massively. Um, ah. Overestimating how heavy Earl, he- or Earl or Dave Hebner is and putting yeah. everything into it like he would do, be doing if it was an actual wrestler. <laughs> My God, he goes flying. 
So after the video package, we have Vince Man and Jesse Ventura on commentary and they have a little um, sort of preamble to the show um, where Jesse Ventura searches Vince Man to see whether or not he's got a redneck and he uh, confirms that he does indeed have a redneck. Um, Vince genuinely pissed off. He looks genuinely hurt and annoyed when he says it. It's amazing. Well, they're obviously referencing the fact they're in Nashville, Tennessee, and Vince McMahon famously doesn't particularly like the South. Um, You know, it's not really that hidden in in his constant references to wrestling and the fact that, you know, he doesn't really ever like the fact that Jim Ross was the lead commentator on the show for a very long time. And so Ventura is obviously pushing a a specific button here that he knows McMahon won't enjoy. It is interesting because Vince McMahon brings it up himself. He says, I am from the South. because He's from um, Carolina, one of the Carolinas, I think. And he actually brings up that he is from the South, which I thought was really interesting because through, and admittedly, I'm not something that I've really massively studied, but I don't ever remember hearing to him referring to himself as being from the South other than that occasion. So I thought it was quite interesting because I've always had that kind of impression that he's, as you said, yeah, ashamed almost of his background where he's from so then they talk about andre beating hogan at the last main event show it wasn't a saturday night's main event that needs to be made clear which is why i'm saying main event it was just a main event show um which was was indeed the big the largest wrestling uh, audience in the in north america that they've ever had on television 30 i think he says 35 million i think it was actually 33 million but you know we're splitting hairs then we have a bit <laughs> of footage of, of of hogan arguing with the two hebners um, I ah. guess we've covered that, but I don't know if there's anything else you want to say. I just watching this, like I've, it's obviously is something that is ingrained on my memory. Hogan's selling is incredible. Like I know it's something that you obviously have to do because you're trying to like get the required reaction. But if he sold it even 10% less than he does, it just wouldn't work. Because it's so stupid. Even at this time, it's stupid. But his selling, like his facials, are absolutely incredible. He's obviously got the little like he's got like the bold mullet going on as well. So when he's it's all sweaty when he's looking from ref to ref. He's got him. He's like, uh, uh, and then he looks to the crowd for help. Fucking amazing. Well, always I've seen that main event show so many times. I love the promo that he does afterwards. Where he's like, there are two of them. Who paid for the plastic surgery, brother? As if it's completely like out of the mind. It's more likely that someone would have paid plastic surgery than they're just, them hire an identical twin. It's, it's, you know, I mean, it's so silly. Um, that, that bit I loved. I made a couple of notes about just that that whole kind of segment in general. For a start, I love the fact that Jesse Ventura is like, we don't rely on, uh, on, on instant replays, which is something that I wish, you know, you know the Premier League might you know take a take a cue from if they watch the show, um. But he, when they when they show it, he goes, "Oh, what's this more doctored footage, of man? This doesn't even look like Indianapolis. <laughs> it's so great, <laughs> it's so great." And then at the end of it, he's talking about um. He's so good at like putting over the heels, and he's talking about the matches that they've got in terms of um, uh, Harley Race versus Hogan and 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 Ted DiBiase versus Macho Man. And there's a bit where he just goes, "In my opinion, the mania and the madness can go take a hike." which I just thoroughly enjoyed as well. It's a nice little tie-in. It's an interesting one because this is um, that that show represents Earl Hebner's debut in the company. So Mm. Dave Hebner had worked for the WWF for a number of years before this. But Earl Hebner had been officiating or been a referee in um, Jim Crockett prior to this point um, and then had and been hired specifically for the purpose of doing this angle and then, of course, became eventually uh, one of the most famous referees of all time, partially because of this match itself, but also 
because of what would take place later on in his career. But just an interesting one that this was effectively Earl Hebner's introduction to the company, which is possibly why Dave Hebner didn't continue to referee much beyond this point, because he would then become a backstage official as opposed to a referee. And you do see him occasionally in a suit, but you don't often see, you, don't, you don't see him refereeing beyond this point, really. Was, was Dave Hebner sacked in disgrace for stealing merchandise? Or have I made that up? Both yeah, well, certainly, yeah, certainly Earl was. I didn't know Dave was as well, but yeah. Yeah, I think they were selling them at like conventions and stuff like that. Yeah, like, you've got the greatest job in the world. Vince is paid for your plastic surgery, <laughs> <laughs> so you can look identical. Why are they? Why are they stealing them from the man? I yeah. wonder. I wonder if it was a preemptive uh, move from Earl Hebner to get himself sacked because he knew that Scott Armstrong was on his way, and he was like, I don't want to be associated with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was both of them. Both of them were released um, in connection with the same events, um, selling WWE merchandise without permission. Do you remember they stole all of the foam hearts? We... <laughs> Someone had to. There would have been bloody millions of them things back at backstage. God, that's a real long callback to our first episode there. You're going to have to go, if you haven't listened to it, you're going to have to go back and listen to it through our, as you said before, old man, extensive archives. Didn't we see, didn't we also, when we went to go and watch a TNA show in Coventry, didn't Earl Hebner come out to referee a match with his own entrance music? He probably held it up. He was like fluffing his referee top, which didn't really make any sense to me, but I thought it was great. And uh, that was a great show as well. Did he not have one of his Brett screw, uh, eye screwed Brett t-shirts on? Because he had, he had, they had made a custom Earl Hebner yeah. eye screwed Brett t-shirt. So I wonder if he was wearing that. And that he, de- he definitely, he definitely um, made a reference to it at some point. And I can't remember yeah. how. Maybe someone had a sign. And he grabbed it. It was something that he did. Yeah, but it yeah. left a bad taste in my mouth. To be honest, you probably shouldn't have tried to suck him off, shouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Alongside Tom's penchant for showing us how you know well-traveled he is, I will um, name drop the fact that I've interviewed Earl Hebner. Um, I did ask yeah. him about the Montreal screw job, um, but he was a thoroughly nice guy. And he did say that during that interview that he was quite he, – he doesn't like the fact that he's so synonymous with it. But at a certain point, like referees don't make a lot of money. And at a certain point, he needed a way to kind of bring in some income. And let's be honest, Brett was going away to WCW where he's going to be making like two and a half million dollars a year. Um, so I, I don't really hold any wheel will against Earl Hebner. I hate Earl Hebner and I hope he falls down the stairs. Oh, <laughs> I feel really bad now if he does. God. Um, old man, I just wanted to ask you one thing. All right. Yeah. What do you know about hair, Chrome Dome? Because that's what. <laughs> because. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens during the interview with Jimmy Hart and Greg Valentine, who are being interviewed by Mean Gene Oakland. Oh man, I'll let, I'll let you uh, respond to that. Well, there's there's a lot of meat jokes and not Sean Stasiak jokes. Uh, annoyingly, I can't remember any of the meat jokes, but I just remember thinking, what is going on? Because you've you've got the in the initial beefcake promo, there's some haircutting puns which also continue after this promo. Yeah, and then you've got the meat promos, which I didn't really understand. And then there's obviously the bowl joke, which what? left a bitter taste in my mouth. And to be honest, I almost quit. I was almost <laughs> just like, fuck you. This is horrible. This, you're horrible bastards. But then Mean Gene, who's representing the bowl, obviously, like a fucking hero, he then makes a joke and then laughs at it. <laughs> which And I, I just thought, if that were me, if I were bold old <laughs> instead of mean team, I uh, 
I would have been laughing at that joke myself as well. Um, because obviously you boys know me almost as well as our fearless listeners do. I like to laugh at me jokes. Because I'm fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, I don't know what you're talking about when you talk about the meat stuff. I, I've literally went over my head. No, they were saying like um, Greg the Hammer said that he was gonna he was gonna tenderize um, beefcake. Um, there was like something about like <laughs> I've just got why they're making meat puns because it's beefcake, yes, beef isn't it? So this is the levels of which we were on board with this because first of all I didn't even I didn't even hear the puns and secondly I didn't connect them to Beefcake's name. <laughs> Old man heard the puns but didn't connect them to Beefcake's name and and Tom was just on it. He just knew what was going on. He was just sussed. I was foaming at the mouth during this bit, mate. I was loving it. There's, and there's a there's a great bit in this. So the interview the interview um Valentine's Day Hart, then they go. Uh, they come down to the ring. So no music, which is weird. Only three people come down to music at this, which is which is unusual. still early doors. Still early doors for entrance music. But they had music at this point, though. Not all of them. No. Um, but anyway, and then then we go back, and there's another interview with um, Beefcake, where there's more haircutting puns, and uh, it's at that point where at the end of it. I can't exactly remember what uh, what Mean Gene says, but he's like, "Huh, even I'm getting caught up on these puns. I need to get, I need to get away from this." Which is quite a nice bit of awareness. Uh, mean Gene Oakland this the fucking oh. go. Although he is, it is really odd though, because later on when he was hosting like the Legends of Wrestling thing on on the WWE Network, like the roundtable discussions, he had a massive hand. Don't know where that came from, but um. I, I, apparently it's because he held the microphone for so long that it got <laughs> swallowed up into his hand. <laughs> a nice mean Gene Micah hand, as he was then known. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the first match, we finally get our first match of the day. Greg Valentine versus Brutus the Barber Beefcake. As you said, old man, the uh, puns continue during this match. Uh, they, must, they must go through the entire possibility of... Uh, barber puns that they can possibly do um this one lasts around about nine minutes and ends when um, valentine well he performs what is not a bad but not a great german suplex on uh, beefcake and bridges for the pin but beefcake manages to get a shoulder up as the referee is counting and it is valentine instead who suffers the loss tom your thoughts on the match well in terms of the finish you say he bridges it's more tough <laughs> because his his back does not leave the mat at all. They're like, oh, and he's bridging, he's bridging. You're like, it's not. He's just let down on his back. And if he is, and if they tried to sell us that that he won with that move and it was a bridge, it would have been an absolute disgrace. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm glad they changed it. Um, so you mentioned it earlier. My God, what the fuck is Beefcake wearing? Like <laughs> it is awful. It's just it's, it's, but to describe it, we all know he like he had a penchant. For the old, um, for the old fishnets, did uh, yes. did uh, Brutus, but they're basically the entire sides, outsides of both of his legs are completely bare by this fishnets, and he just looks nuts. And even Jesse Ventura commentates on it. He looks, he's like, "What the hell's going on?" He actually says, "Does that excite you, McMahon?" <laughs> just yeah, like, <laughs> which made me chuckle. Um, there is a bit in it, and I've seen Greg Valentine do this before. The way that he sells an atomic drop. It's absolutely genius. He, oh, it's so good. Go back and watch it. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. Then, halfway through the match, Honky Tonk comes down and cuts a promo and has a little dance. <laughs> then it goes to a break and it goes back. Valentine starts working on Beefcake's leg, to which Beefcake does not 
acknowledge or sell in the slightest during this match. It's an absolute shambles. And then the end happens. All right, I like the bit at the beginning of the match as well, actually, where he's running around with the shears after the ref, trying to cut yeah. the ref's hair as well. <laughs> but it's amazing because despite how, let's basically be honest, how shit this match is, um, the it was so much fun. And the crowd are so into it. They're so into Beefcake. It's, it's bonkers. Well, yeah. I want to I want to touch upon something you've just said there because I'm not sure the crowd were going mad for this. Only because what I say is, definitely I noticed it later in the show. They're definitely piping in crowd music at times during um, the show. Now I don't know if I noticed it at this point, so it might be that this is entirely organic during this match. But most definitely later in the show, really? I see and tell that they're piping in music. Don't forget this wasn't live; it was recorded two three weeks before they they aired it. Um, and I, I, where I noticed it mostly was um, during the tag team match that comes later on um which we'll get to but um but that match uh, i'm sorry there shoot. is no way they had to pipe crowd noise in for that fucking <laughs> clinic <laughs> but that was um actually on the night a best two out of three falls match yeah and we only see one fall so i wonder it might even be just they needed to edit it over the crowd noise because of the problems they have with that i don't know but i definitely noticed it so it just cast a little doubt in my mind when i thought about what had gone on during the rest of the show whether or not it all was like this i mean first of all ed the beefcake leslie he's he's a precursor to our fucking boy buff bagwell that's what i thought immediately i was like it's buff bagwell obviously without the bow tie and a bit less flexing and <laughs> and raspberry blowing as well <laughs> which is obviously disappointing uh, i I'm I'm not really an aficionado for Beefcake's back catalogue, if you're part of the expression. Uh, he, I'd forgotten that he does the strut and he does the like little chopping motion with his fingers. <laughs> it's fucking absolutely amazing. And uh, going back to when um what Tommy said about Ventura talking about uh, what Beefcake is wearing, Vince says you just want to see what I look like in Beefcake's tights at one point. <laughs> Which, from memory, Ventura doesn't even acknowledge. So, in my mind, he was just laughing his head off. And uh, there's a bit where Craig Valentine's pants almost get pulled down. They do. <laughs> and Vince just goes, oh, that's too much Valentine for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird hearing Vince, like, kind of joke around. It feels more off the cuff. It doesn't feel like it's scripted in any way or anybody's kind of guy... He, He's thought about what he's going to say. It was lovely. I mean, there's that, an incredible pop for the sleeper hold. I mean, if they pipe that in, I find that hard to believe because the crowd are going absolutely nuts for it. Well, I'll tell you what. It's got to be about the best British Beefcake match I've ever seen. I didn't think it was bad at all. I thought it was pretty good. I was quite surprised by how good it was. I was like, this is easily the best British Beefcake match I've ever seen. Um Just a little bit of trivia for you. Uh, I thought you might be interested in this. So British Beefcake's original ring name eddie hogan he and hogan were actually billed as brothers when they first started in their career which gives you some idea of why beefcake was kept around for so long around hogan hogan mm-hmm. just basically got him employed everywhere he went and i guess it's quite nice in the end really if, you know they've been mates for so long um yeah. keeps keeps getting him jobs places but yeah I, yeah as i said it was about as good as i could ever imagine a beefcake match being but not much not much to say about it i think what you said old man about vince McMahon kind of joking around and stuff again it kind of just feeds into that kind of it's it's not important 
television. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 really lighthearted, throwaway. This is an hour of entertainment on a Saturday night for you and the mm. family. Don't take it too seriously and don't worry about it. You don't have to concentrate. It's just it's just we're just chucking it out there. As I said, unless you were actually watching the show to do a podcast like this, you wouldn't remember this much after you finish watching it. Um so then we've got a couple of interviews by I Minji mean, Oakland. First of all with Bobby Heenan and Harley Race and then with Hulk Hogan. Uh Tom, any any thoughts on either of these two programs? Um, so I haven't got much to say about the uh, Heenan and Harley Race um, one. Um, only, in the, only in the fact that I'd completely forgotten that um, Bobby Heenan called people humanoids, which is a, yeah. which is a lovely touch. Um, he's kind of just, uh, yeah, just doing his thing. You know, they're, they're having a little chat. Very similar. Um, and then obviously Harley Race comes down to the ring, to which I noticed that he has got Jerry Lawler's entrance music. So that was obviously must have been their generic king. king. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Is, which is great. But then in, in the in the Hulk Hogan promo, um, again, nothing really much stood out to there. But he, he does say the only person I will bow to is the is the big dude who walks on water, which yeah. is I'm, 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 I assume he's talking about Jesus. But yeah. <laughs> no, he's talking about me. What are you talking about? Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, no. oh, that makes sense. But I thought that was a very odd way. Like It's quite a... You know, a disrespectful way to talk about someone who I believe is, is a deity. The big dude walks on water. Phenomenal yeah. <laughs> stuff. Hogan's tan is oh. fucking off the charts. Oh, my God. I just can't imagine. Like, this comes after Beefcake as well. And they're obviously tan brothers because they must go to the same fucking place and just go, can I get the richest tan you can offer? Yeah. Nuclear option. Yeah. Okay. So next up, Harley Race versus Hulk Hogan. Um, this one is about six minutes long. What happens is that uh, Race hits a flying headbutt, but Hogan kicks out of the resulting cover and hulks up. He then hits the leg drop and gets the pin on Harley Race. Uh, old man, your thoughts on the match? Gotta be honest, I really enjoyed this. I was really surprised because I'm not. Uh, I haven't really watched much Harley Race. First thing that I thought of was obviously what's been touched on. He comes down to uh, what would be Jerry Lawler's music. And also, as he was coming down, I was like, imagine if all royalty only walked around in pants. <laughs> which, which took me to some odd places when you consider the current monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, and she's 94, I think. Ooh, horrible. That's a tough wank. That was, but, I, I, but, but, uh, but I managed it. Yeah, so one odd thing, obviously we've touched upon the music, the entrance music, so they both get their entrance music. Hogan's music carries on playing while they start fighting, which it gets to the bit where the woman properly starts screaming about being a real American, which always just astonishes me. Just the note, it's like Tom Jones in Thunderball-esque. Another, it's a, there's a running theme. So we had Greg... The hammer selling an atomic drop magnificently. Harley Race does it as well. Yeah. Sells it. Yeah. Sells it like he's been absolutely killed. I mean, we've got Hogan working full heel. Like he's choking. He's doing everything. He's he's a horrible bastard. I mean, first he blasphemes in his promo, and then he's choking a king, which I'm pretty sure is a criminal offence somewhere. If it was the King of England, he'd be the head of the church as well, which would be even more. Yes, bloody hell. Sure, he should have been done for treason, shouldn't he? He should have been done for something. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Treason, blasphemy, being Hulk Hogan, whatever. 
poor Harley race. And I think he's actually only about 40 at this time, but he looks like 96. He hits the previously mentioned table. He hits it hard as well. Poor fucker. And he's like, he's not, um, put it this way, I don't think he's been doing his, uh, his yoga stretches because he's quite stiff anyway. Old Harley race. He doesn't sell the fact that he's hit the table and broken it to the point where Ventura even acknowledges that. And uh, another interesting thing that I found out through my digging, so race retires a couple of years after this. Apparently, this was the bump that effectively caused his retirement, which is a bit sad. Yeah, well, it's a bit, the whole Harley Race thing is a bit sad, quite frankly, because he had, he'd been a massive, like Harley Race is one of the biggest names in the history of North American wrestling. Okay, he is humongous as, as a star, massively important. You know, if, if Ric Flair hadn't come along, probably would have been the most well-known NWA world champion of all time. Like he's he was huge. Um, and he had done that for a long time. And actually by this point in his career, he had wanted to retire for a number of years. He, he wanted to be done. But as a consequence of WWE's national expansion during the 1980s, uh, he lost about half a million dollars um, from his own kind of territorial promotion that he had running in, in the St. Louis area and was forced to carry on wrestling because he just didn't have enough money to carry on. So he carried on wrestling way, way, way beyond his best um, just because he, he needed the money and didn't even stop wrestling until like the, the like early 90s. But as you say, probably um, partially caused by this. If you've if you've seen that, I hadn't, I hadn't realized that. Um, so it is a bit of a sad story just in general, quite frankly, because, you know, he, he's kind of remembered now for this period of time, because obviously yeah. WWE was humongous at the time. So people remember the King Harley Racing, but he was a really important and really massively um, successful pro wrestler in his in his in his prime. He also throws the best diving headbutt I've ever seen, like from the top row Ponta Hogan. It just it that move is shit, and it's also crap because obviously it's uh it's been linked to causing quite a few problems in the old brain area and causing concussions. But his looks fuck up, and he his head looks hard. His head's almost as hard as it is to listen to him speak. Everything he does looks like it bloody hurts. Yeah, I, I think you've got it right there, old man. Like he he looks old school hard, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. It's the tattoos. You know, I mean, no one had tattoos back then. Like he looks like a grizzled old, I don't know, like sailor or something like that because of his tattoos. And he looks he looks legitimately tough and quite badass, which I think he had a bit of a reputation for as well, didn't he? Mm-hmm. As being quite quite old school and quite tough. Um, this is probably the best. Um, performance i've ever seen from harley race if i'm being honest again my my knowledge of his matches aren't you know isn't extensive by any stretch of the imagination but what i was really impressed with by harley race was his selling because almost every time i've seen him especially and this mainly around about this time in WWE, where he just doesn't sell it's <laughs> barely sells for anyone but he's flying all around the ring for hogan it's really quite impressive there's a couple of times where he sells like a couple of clotheslines in tandem and goes back and flips over and it's like, fair play, he's really like making Hogan look like a million bucks here. The match ending was really odd because I think, I don't know what happened, but I like I saw the headbutt, I looked down and then I looked back up again and all of a sudden Hogan had won. <laughs> so it was a really quick turnaround. Like it must have yeah. literally been just a boot leg drop done after that. Um, but at the, after the match, he starts running around. Hogan starts uh, running, like um, Bobby Heenan comes into the ring, kind of hits him in the back. Obviously Hogan knows sells and turns around. Then Bobby Heenan, jumps over the top roof and out to yeah. the floor and just takes a massive bump 
<laughs> for no reason. It's amazing. He probably sells the fact that he's terrified of Hogan and just launches himself out of the ring. It's amazing. I tell you what, if you can, if you have got some time, track down a couple of Bobby Heenan's matches from AWA, which are available on the WWE Network, because he actually has a couple of matches, er, like early 80s, probably 81, with Hogan. So like in, in like... um uh handicap matches and Heenan selling honestly is phenomenal it's like watching Mr Perfect or dare I say it Dolph Ziggler bouncing around in there I mean he's properly like sells the hell out of it in fairness Bobby Heenan's a manager and should sell really well for like these big kind of muscle guys that are beating him up but yeah I mean just phenomenal really really good Uh, I've heard before that he's apparently a heck of a worker Heenan back when he used to just wrestle I haven't seen any of his shit so it's probably bollocks but well, it's, it's not going to be like AJ Styles level stuff or Shawn Michaels level stuff. But in terms of a, a guy that was predominantly known for being a manager, yeah, it's, it's pretty damn good. I'll tell you one thing I noticed as well. Like, obviously, Hogan poses at the end after he uh, scares off Heenan and race just kind of disappears, just kind of walks to the back. Hogan, and I think this is probably a thing that he did all the time, pulled his trunks up over his belly button and then poses. <laughs> Which I just suddenly was like, that's bloody weird. And then, like, because of that, it's just too much, too much bollocks on show, to be honest. <laughs> too much, like, he's a, he's a real American with a big pair of bollocks. I know that much. But the crowd don't care about his bollocks. They are fucking lapping it up. They're lapping it up like a thirsty cat. And, like, I remember when they tried to kind of get, a couple of years later, they kind of tried to put Ultimate Warrior into... The Hogan kind of position, you can see why it didn't work because people are still with Hogan two years later and they're still with him to this level as well. Unbelievable. Hulk Hogan might be an absolute shit of a human being, which by all accounts he is to some, but my word was he over. Well, I think this is a good time for me to, and I apologize for this because I've got a bit of a monologue about this because I think this is quite significant in history at this point. Because obviously Hogan's just lost the title, right, to Andre, and then they've had the belt stripped because he tried to sell it to DiBiase and all that stuff, and because of the twin brothers. And so that's quite significant just from the perspective of the storyline. It's quite well remembered. It's a massive night in history in terms of the television audience as well. Um, And it sets up WrestleMania 4 and arguably WrestleMania 5 all at the same time. So it's pretty significant just in that respect. But in terms of the way... WWF, WWE, WWF booked their champions. It is humongously significant for the fact that it's the first time in their history they ever had a world title change for the purpose of the pay-per-view schedule that they've got. So prior to this point, every major, every champion in WWF had either been a heel transitional champion or a multi-year world champion so you go back to bruno sammartino 63 to 71 he was the champion uh and then they had i think it was koloff who was the transitional champion between him and pedro morales and then morales held the title for three years he dropped the belt to stan stasiak who then dropped it back to sammartino he held the belt for another three years um and then they had a a longer period of time where um superstar billy, billy graham was champion as heel um but that was like a little bit of an experiment but then after that backland became champion for six years now all of those other championship changes had ch- had happened 
because of either the business was dropping as a consequence of that babyface champion no longer being quite the star they had previously been, or in the case of San Martino, because San Martino himself wanted to drop the belt because the schedule that a champion had to keep was really quite tough. So the way WWF booked their territory was basically we get a babyface as champion and then he just sells tickets everywhere he goes, whether it be the Maple Leaf Garden, the Boston Garden, Madison Square Garden, the Pro- uh, Providence Civic Center, um, philadelphia spectrum wherever he would sell out and and so and they would just line up a big heel and then they do the loop they do the house show loops and they had the big match against i don't know let's say san martino was up against someone like gorilla monsoon or bob backlam was against stan hansen or whoever and they do the loop of all the house shows they make loads and loads of money from all the gates and then they'd just go on to the next feud and they do that until as i say that baby face either didn't want to be champion anymore or was no longer drawing money the difference here is that hogan they actually have him drop the belt, not because he doesn't want to be champion, not because business is falling, but because they literally have no major match for WrestleMania four. And they have they have a need to build up to a major match, his next big kind of confrontation. And it kind of mirrors the way the business was changing, because for the first time ever, it wasn't a case of, well, we'll build this big match up and then we'll have it play out multiple times in arenas across the country. Now, for the first time, they're starting to think about matches that are going to be a one off in front of everybody at once in a, in a, on a pay-per-view um, on a pay-per-view level. And so. They didn't have a match that would do the business they wanted to do in 1988. So they had to take the belt off Hogan and and come up with a tournament thing just so that they could almost like sell the tournament as opposed to selling a specific match. And of course, it would lead to Hogan's next big one off match, which was against Savage at WrestleMania five. So I think it's I think it's just really, really significant in terms of the way WWE booked their shows and in terms of the way the kind of the business was changing at this point because this wouldn't have happened prior to this point it was the first time they had even necessitated this happening so i thought it was just a really interesting part of the of history do you not think they could have done they could have built up to hogan versus andre too with hogan winning the title back but they could or have done was, it was andre too far gone at this point uh yeah, I mean, I think there was a there was a first of all suggestion that yeah he wasn't really capable anymore of carrying huge matches or long matches of any kind. I mean, he pretty much gave his last major effort at WrestleMania three. I mean, just to go that long, which wasn't a particularly long match, but just to go that long was probably a pretty big stretch for him. And they had done obviously the main rematch on Saturday night's main event. Uh, you know, no, sorry, at the main event I should say about a month before this, which had drawn that humongous television television rating um so i guess they could have done and in fact they did because if you think about wrestlemania 4 the only match they've advertised in terms of the tournament is hogan versus andre that's Mm. the match you know is going to happen um and then they let like the fans almost their um their imagination sell the rest of the show because who knows what will end up in the main event it could be hogan dibiossi it could be hogan savage it could be a one-man gang against hogan for all we know the point is is that you there are so many possibilities which is sometimes the strength of a tournament is that you can give you can almost sell it on the concept of what might be and then not deliver that because you haven't said that you are going to give those matches so it i think that was the idea but yeah possibly they could have done but they kind of did anyway even with the tournament concept because that was that was um advertised ahead of time been thinking a bit a bit this week about giants in general yeah. in wrestling and it's really it's obviously no the cats out the back but this will be broadcast two weeks later after the big show has signed for AEW, and he may have already made his de- debut by the time people get to listen to this so i don't know how, how that'll work out but i was thinking about the comparisons between the big show and and andre the giant 
And even at the end of Andre's run in WWE, when he could barely move and do matches and stuff like that, I think about like when he started doing the, you know, the tag team matches and, and stuff like that around about this time, that he was still like a massive deal, like a huge thing in yeah. the way that the big show never has been or never will be. And I find it's it's a really interesting comparison to see, to draw the line because the big show should still be a big deal because of him, of who he is and his size. And the fact is that he was actually realistically probably a better wrestler than Andre the Giant in terms of his, his well, I don't know, you watch some of Andre's young stuff in his younger days, it's really quite impressive, isn't it? Um, but like, I just find it really, really interesting, the fact that there's there's so like such a level of, and, and don't think I'm wrong, I'm with it as well, such a level of apathy towards the big show and such a, like a, a, a massive, like how well, how revered um, Andre Giant is at this stage in kind of both of their careers and how they're presented. We covered No Way Out 2000 a couple of weeks ago. And there's obviously the Rock Big Show match. And I think that is like Big Show has been in the company maybe a year at that point, I think. And uh, I think we touched upon it in the episode. The problem is, is that he was never he was never a giant. He was just a big guy because he used to sell. Like he'd sell for punches, like he'd, and then he, every now and then he would face someone and they'd punch him and he would no sell it and they wouldn't be able to get him down. But and the commentators would try their best to kind of sell, well, the big show he's too big, you can't get him down with a clothesline and stuff like that. Oh, I don't think that's going to work. And they'd have a little laugh at some smaller person trying to get him down. But there was no effect. There was no effect for the viewer and for the public, I think, because. He'd sold so much, whereas my admittedly quite limited viewing of Andre the Giant is that he wasn't selling for no one. And he also had a reputation, by all accounts, like I've heard Bret Hart talk about how difficult Andre the Giant could be because he knew, one, he knew his worth. So he wasn't going to just sell for any old fucker. Like, he won't, like, with respect, like, Ken Patera's in the main event of this show, like, he wasn't going to sell for Ken Patera, like with great, with the greatest respect to him. Like it meant something to beat Andre the Giant. That's why WrestleMania three works so amazingly well is that they sold that whole thing on the fact that Hogan was going to power slam and then be able to beat Andre the Giant. Like that's how hard he was to beat. And the, like the big show. And I think this goes for a lot of giants. Like I think sometimes the way WWE talk about him, like, They've kind of tried to position Braun Strowman as that. And they've gone so far away from that because it's just not. I think the minute you make, especially in this day and age, like view with these eyes, the minute you make someone look, someone of that stature look weak in any number of ways that can be done, even if it is just selling a punch like you've been run over by a car as the big show did at No Way Out 2000, you've lost that mystique and you've lost them forever and Tom's 100% right I think because Andre the Giant is never not a big deal it also helps that he is absolutely fucking enormous and I think the roster in general it's not like you don't have to search France to find people like Andre the Giant anymore I think they're kind of drawn in to professional wrestling by the money that they can make so it is slightly different but it's quite sad, isn't it? Because I think he was just so he was so big, and then you look at like the Undertaker's debut as well, like six foot ten walking down to the ring, 
I know he's dressed as an undertaker, but people are shit scared of him because he's fucking massive and incredibly pale. Yeah, I think the thing about Andre, the big problem, the difference really is that Andre wasn't a WWF wrestler. Let's just let's just start by saying that he was at this point in his career. Don't get me wrong. But for the majority of his career, and I'm talking 20 years prior to really the date, the, the event, the pay-per-view kind of calendar began, if you like, um, he was he, he worked everywhere, literally everywhere like everyone used to he was probably the biggest star in the world because he'd work in japan he'd work all over the north america he'd work in the europe he'd work everywhere basically he was the biggest attraction star in in wrestling and wwf would use him um regularly he would work on their madison square garden shows now and again he'd work on kind of other big shows that they did but he wasn't a regular member of the roster like a lot of other people were even back in the territory days he would just work wherever he wanted to work and 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 they would book him because he was such a big attraction and everybody knew who he was um and so if you were a member of the wwf's audience you would maybe see Andre four or five times a year, maybe once on television at most. Like he, he would, and, and that once on television, he'd win a handicap match against three jobbers and he'd do it with ease. It would just be funny. So you didn't see him much. And when you did see him, he was dominant. He would win. He would win every time. And that's the big difference is that, and maybe this is unfortunately a consequence of the world we live in now and the wrestling world we live in because obviously we've got three hours of raw every monday we've got two hours of smackdown every every friday and we've got you know a development ladder that now means that you also get exposed to these people before they even hit the main roster in in most cases so you can't you can't keep that mystique because if they're going to be a functioning part of the roster and if they're going to learn their trade which is the hardest part is actually finding places to learn that mimic the environment that they're going to have to work in a lot of the time they kind of have to be exposed and again and again and again just to get the experience to be at that level it would be interesting i think if they had when they brought braun Strowman in for example if they'd have used him really sparingly and brought him out maybe once every three or four months and you were like fuck here he comes this guy does not mess about and he just beats the crap out someone beats them and then you could really eventually build up to a big match with a hogan style wrestler maybe reigns with someone but the point is is that i just don't know if the modern era allows it it's just a different it's a different world and i think it'd be really really difficult to book someone in the same way i mean we talked about it with nia Jax as well very very similar sort of situation with the way she's presented um Having said all that, in fairness, WWE made an absolute mess of the way they presented Big Show for the first first two or three years of him being in the company. So I think there's also that that, that worked against him. But I do think there's that kind of historical aspect that needs to be kind of bared in mind when we talk about the differences between them. Um, OK, so oh wait a minute. It's about the time. It is about time before we go to break for the second episode of the Luke Gallows podcast within a podcast. Now, last yes. time you may remember we were talking about Gallows time in the tag team, Jesse and Festus and the prescription drugs storyline that led to him join the straight edge society. And oh man, you had a little assignment, didn't you? Which is to find out <laughs> why, how Festus came to be Luke Gallows. Now the look on your face says to me, you've forgotten all about your little assignment, but that's okay. That's okay. We'll, we'll save that for next week. We'll save that for episode three of the Luke Gallows podcast within a podcast, because I have luckily prepared in this eventuality just the right thing for this, which is the many ring names that Luke Gallows has had down his career. So here's the list. And I think you all enjoy this, guys. We've got Luke Gallows, Luke Gallo, Doc Gallows, Doc, Festus, Festus Dolan, Justice Dolan, Super Festus, The Masked Assassin, Imposter Kane, Deacon Deville, Dorian Deville, 
Big XLG, The Freaking Deacon, Isaiah Cash, Johnny99, Keith Hansen, Tex Ferguson, and this one's the best, Sex Ferguson. Oh, <laughs> Sex Ferguson. We look forward to Old Man next week, episode three of the Luke Gallows podcast with the podcast. Don't think you can come now. I haven't done your little, whilst I've been doing my little list and come back with your, <laughs> with your research now. No, no, no. We'll save that for next week's uh, episode of the Luke Gallows podcast within a podcast. And right now we'll take a quick break and we'll be back in just a few moments. Which podcast are we taking a break from? The Luke Gallows one or Random <laughs> Wrestling Review? All of them at once. Perfect. Flickster. Everybody is upset about the comments you've made about the United States Olympic team. I hope you can explain yourself. Well, I sure can, little dude. The U.S. Olympic team is nothing but a bunch of losers, baby. That's right, capital letters, L-O-S-E-R-S, USA. And you ought to know about that. Wasn't that loser son of yours on that loser hockey team? Now, just a minute. Just a minute here, Slick. You're not going to get away with talking to me like that. Well, listen, man. If they wasn't a bunch of losers, then why did they have to call in George Steinbrenner to the rescue, dude? From the Yankees? Well, George is going to be able to add to the program, I think. Uh, what do you mean? Yeah, he'll help, all right. He'll help them to second place, just like your second place New York Yankees. All right, I thank you very much, gentlemen. One-man gang to meet Ken Patera. Wait a minute, man. Forget about Ken Patera and forget about the U.S. Olympic team. Who needs a team anyway when you've got a gang? The one-man gang. One-man gang. Indeed. George Steinbrenner. Sky may not be a bad idea for a backstop. Vince, let's get back Welcome back. back. So after the Hogan versus Harley race match, we had a lovely little backstage interview. Gene Oakland with Ted DiBiase. Um, to hype his match with Randy Savage. And then we had an interview with Randy Savage hyping the same contest. Uh, old man, any thoughts on these two promos? Well, I mean, we've obviously seen the promos from these lads at the start of the show as well. So these are different promos. But Million Dollar Man basically cuts the same promo, which is nice. This is where I, it kind of occurred to me that he's an incredibly wealthy man, yet can't afford sleeves for, for poor Virgil, who, I mean, just walking around day to day, his arms must have got bloody freezing. And also, Ted DiBiase, this isn't his face where he looked like a lion. His <laughs> hair is, it's like, it's plastic mould, like he is actually his wrestling figure. <laughs> And uh, Macho Man, he leads her into the promo, set up lovely by Mean Gene. And I just imagine that that was how he, uh, how he led her to bed for a night of passionate lovemaking. Uh, Tom? Uh, yeah, basically what I'll answer is not much, um, you know, not much to be perfectly honest to be said that, that hasn't already been said. Um, going back onto the, the sleeves thing, I like to think it's probably a choice, but I don't know why. If I was a millionaire and I had a manservant with me, I wouldn't be like, bare arms. At all times, unless well, especially because he... his arms are fucking massive, and Ted DiBiase is not a very built man. Well, that's kind of what I was going to go on to say as well when we go into the actual match. Like, I love Ted DiBiase because he's a bit like a dad, isn't he, in the <laughs> ring? Do you know what I mean? He's a bit like someone's. Well, he was someone's dad. Um, but like, you know what I mean? Like, you kind of think of him as someone who looked like your dad's mate from work. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Or something like that. Only oh, he carried around. Hey Ted, what's going on there? Oh, you yeah. someone up. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, and I'm really rich. Fuck off. Yeah. Um, oh, oh it, oh it, and you've got a racially stereotyped manservant. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Ted, Ted, you've, uh, you've, you've disappointed me there. Yeah, who you've named after Dusty Rhodes. 
for some is, reason. <laughs> it's very confusing. Um, yeah, no, nothing much, nothing much about this. But again, this is where I, the, it was really highlighted to me that uh, there was certain uh, entrance music missing because I love Ted DiBiase's entrance music and the fact that it wasn't on. Yeah. Uh, it was quite disappointing because again it's another example of a uh in-ring performer who performs their own entrance music and again you don't get that enough these days do you i'd love to i'd love to hate, see like hear like nakamura singing his entrance music or uh, you know but the, that's the thing none of them have words these days do they it's just like generic music they do have some of them some of them have no do they? yeah yeah definitely well, i'm trying to think well, well, definitely. The ones that come to mind for me are all the, the women's theme tunes. So I'm thinking like Sasha Banks and and Bailey's old one, like when she was a baby face. They all had yeah. like lyrics. But I think I think there's also a kind of thing where it goes back to the thing where we're talking about uh, everybody feels like everyone needs to have the opportunity to become a main event guy. It, 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 I don't know if that makes any sense. But what I mean is like when people are introduced back in the day, you knew that they weren't ever going to be important. They were just going to be a mid mid card or lower mid card guy that should just do something um these days i think because they're kind of hoping that everyone will have the potential to be a main eventer the concept of one of them singing their own theme tune might to a lot of the fan base make them out to be not have that opportunity in the future does that make any sense and it just yeah. feels like they they worry that they'd be sullied by the fact they're singing singing their own theme tune i think it's a mistake i think it repeat i think you're right i think it'd be great to see more well, of that well my argument against that is big john cena obviously yeah. rapping his own entrance music um, but the the thing that I um I was thinking about with Ted DiBiase and, and him singing his theme is he rich because he is the sort of person who wouldn't pay for someone to sing his own theme song? He's is he rich? He's like, well, I'm fiscally responsible. I'm bringing fiscally res- mm. fiscal responsibility. I'm not going to pay someone to sing my entrance music. I'll just do it myself and I'll save a couple of quid. And then Virgil can count it. Maybe that's what Virgil was counting. Maybe Virgil at the beginning was counting the money that Ted DiBiase saved by not hiring someone to sing his, <laughs> his uh, theme song. I think this what? is a very interesting point because what basically what you're doing is you're turning the entire WWE universe and their entire entire canon on its head and saying basically DiBiase is being the responsible guy who's not flashy, just goes out there, saves his money, and everyone gives him shit for it. Whilst Hogan's out there being profligate with his money, giving it away and like throwing parties and buying guitars and you know all kinds of stuff, getting someone to sing his own theme tune, and truthfully that's him being irresponsible. So basically that's what you're saying is that the whole of the we're in the upside down world now. And DBOC is actually the babyface. Well, and, and IRS was trying to help people pay their taxes. <laughs> you might not want to do it, but sometimes you need some tough love. He was a good guy. It's good for public services as well. Like it's good for everyone if we pay taxes. But that's just my uh, my politics coming out now. We're trying to get away from that so as quick as we can. Is it ever explained how Million Dollar Man became the Million Dollar Man? Or how the, did he get rich? Or the Multi Million Dollar Man, as uh, Hogan likes to call him. Yeah. Or was he a world famous lion impersonator? <laughs> <laughs> he, he does. People look like paying that. him millions. You know the Metro Goldwyn Mayor Lion? That's just Ted DiBiase. (laughs) Yeah. Um he looks he does look like the lion that is on the packaging of a lion bar. (laughs) And then um, you know, a little bit further down the line, a a tag team partner for Noel Edmonds. Yes. (laughs) I used to love Noel's house party. I used to absolutely Blobby. Remember when Blobby was at his uh at his biggest not in terms of like Andre biggest, in terms of like popularity biggest. And uh, there were lots of fake blobbies going around. And that's what and happens, old man, as well, man. You know, we've seen it with Kane. He had an imposter. We saw it with The Undertaker. There was an imposter. Sting, yeah. Razor Ramon. They've all had oh, these imposters, yeah. mate. 
well, I'm not sure they were quite as bad as the fake lobbies. They just started ruining kids' birthday parties <laughs> by, like, lobbing cakes in kids' faces and making them cry. I can just remember back in the day, my parents used to get the Sunday people, <laughs> which was quite good as a youngster because there was a little bit of the old lingerie advertised. <laughs> in, yeah, it seemed like every other week there was a story about some fake blobby ruining some fucking kid's birthday party. I used to love blobby. What a fucking man. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Ted DiBiotti versus Randy Savage. We really fucking went off on a tangent there. Um, so this one lasts uh, 11 minutes and 40 seconds. And um, basically what happens at the end is that we get, well, before the end, Andre the Giant comes out as a man that DiBiotti has paid to stand in his corner. And that's important to the end of the match because uh, the referee goes down after um, Hebner takes a, a lovely little bump, as he as he was wont to do. And then Andre the Giant attacked Randy Savage. And in the meantime, Elizabeth runs away, apparently scared of the of, of the giant Andre that's uh, squashing her, her man. Um, DiBiotti then kind of revives the official but shields him from what's going on. And Andre continues the attack. Uh, and then Savage is counted out as a consequence of that attack. Then Hogan, Hogan, Hulk Hogan races to the ring with a chair and the heels all run away. Um, and the kind of parting shot here from the commentary team is Elizabeth stands by her man. Uh, Tom, thoughts on this one? Uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, this, it all, it's a good match. But then when Andre comes down, it real kicks into overdrive. Andre sweating through his shirt oh as well. He must have been absolutely racing. Like, you ever have that? Like, we discussed it a couple of weeks ago when we went to the WWE Hall of Fame in Phoenix and we were wearing suits and it was absolutely roasting. Yeah. Even then, what I can remember being uh, probably one of my most uncomfortable I've, I, I've ever been in terms of temperature and versus the clothes that I'm wearing. I wasn't sweating anywhere near as much as Andre the Giant is. So I can imagine, I mean, I imagine how much water he used to have to drink as well to kind of rehydrate that. It's terrifying. Um, he, it all kind of kicks off. All, it feels like a good matchup until then. When Andre comes down, you know, it's going to be a big deal. Um, yeah, everything you said, everything you said is great. I mean, there's some lovely moves from Macho. Like the fact that, like in 1988, Macho or 19, when was this? 1988, yeah. yeah. Um, Macho Man was jumping from the top rope to the outside of the ring is just really cool because mm-hmm. something you didn't see, no one did it, which is what made him, you know, his 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 moveset and his ability to sell and the intensity he brought to a match was what what made him so great and stand out so much from other people. And even though he's smaller, you could, because of his levels of intensity that he brought to everything that he did it made him feel equal almost to Hogan because just because of his performance the ending is is what it is um but yeah that was I, I really enjoyed this I really enjoyed this match oh man what were your thoughts I'll be honest I'm not that well versed in Savage's work to be honest so I'm kind of through watching this and also obviously when we covered the 92 Rumble kind of getting a new appreciation for just how bloody good he is everything he does is like there's a reason for it. And I know that's like an accusation that's been leveled at him by people that work with him was that he was an absolute perfectionist. But if it's true, you can see it work because everything he does means something and he understands what is going to work. Like he goads Andre the Giant. And he's like, come on, I ain't scared of you. Obviously, he bloody is because he's fucking massive. But... uh yeah there's just little things and there was something that i absolutely loved i loved hogan coming down to the ring because he is obviously carrying a chair which looks lovely and padded it must say it looks very mm. comfortable for one of those fold-up chairs nowadays and even not 
that much further in the future for WWE. You get quite a wide entranceway, but this is very narrow. So he comes out, he's waving the chair above his head like he's showing off because he's obviously showing it off. But I'd imagine he's also a bit scared about hitting anyone in the crowd with it if he's running like that, waving his bloody arms about like an absolute lunatic. That was a lovely touch and also a lovely touch. He's, so he's had a match. He got very sweaty in his match. His hair was all wet, horrible. He's put his bandana back on <laughs> for this. So, so old man, the, the, the main points of him, you know, how you were impressed by this match is the health and safety that Hogan showed and the yeah. fact that he wasn't slovenly. He went back and dressed and tied himself up back up again after his match with Harley Race. Well, to be honest, I've not even touched on my favourite part of the match. And Tommy's kind of alluded to this. So you've got Dibiase Savage, two absolute workhorses. They trade double axe handles from the turnbuckles. And then, like Tommy said, Savage takes it up a notch and does one off the top rope to the outside. Three double axe handles in a match that I enjoyed. It's unbelievable. It was basically like watching highlights of the big boss man's career condensed into 11 minutes. I did have a question on this match because I couldn't remember and I wanted to bring it up rather than look it up and seem like a smart ass. <laughs> Is this kind of the start of the mega powers? Yeah, effectively, yeah. 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 At the end when Hogan's holding up Macho Man and Macho Man's selling, showing Brutus how to sell a leg injury despite yeah. the fact that his leg isn't worked on at all in the entire match. <laughs> He's selling it like a fucking, like a like the professional that he is. And they're, they're there in the ring. I was there sat on my sofa watching it tear running down my face <laughs> just thinking this is it i was like you really are the guys aren't you, you two. <laughs> <laughs> i love it it's so good it's you're amazing. talking about you're talking about savage and hogan now as well not not about me and old man uh well it, I, I, there's shades of you two in that but yeah no it was very much a highlight of it for me and I will, we'll move on to this a little bit later but this is always what i find really strange about these saturday like main event shows and that the main events are like smack bang in the middle of it. Uh-huh. So you've got like a, usually a match, then two matches of interest, and then two matches to jobber matches that mean absolutely nothing at the end. I wonder if you had any kind of insight, Tinky, as to why they did it like this. Maybe there must be some kind of viewing patterns or something like that that necessitated that they do this, but it's against the norm for every other kind of wrestling show you will ever watch. There probably are some television reasons like, yeah, we'll put the big thing in the middle because it just or earlier in the show anyway, because it makes more sense. But also actually back in the day, especially on television, televised shows, they used to put the most important matches very often before the end because. And here's where kind of again, you kind of have to think about stuff when it comes to a kayfabe perspective. They used to have it so that basically you'd have maybe a couple of matches. Uh, if you've got an hour long show, you'd have maybe a couple of matches which lasted 50 minutes and then they go, right, now it's the main event. And with TV time remaining, this match will take place. Um, and basically what they say is that if this match finished early before the end of the show, we'll have then standby matches because they're not as important. And so we won't necessarily finish those matches within the broadcast. So the idea was you will definitely see the end of this match because we won't run out of time, if you see what I mean. That was the idea. So it was kind of like feeding into the idea that because it was a big match, it might last half an hour, at which case you might be watching and then not see the end because the broadcast will end. So that's what it was about, uh, certainly in the past. Now, I don't know if that's why they did it with Saturday night's main event, because 
you know they weren't that worried about that type of thing but i but it wasn't that odd for the big match or the main match of a show on a televised show to be in the middle somewhere and actually even on the arena shows bruno sammartino hogan backland will often have their title defense in the middle of the show and the and the show would end with a tag team title match just because mm. they weren't so concerned about it and they'd have a, a curfew back then so it was often about the time um of when of the of the show and how much time they had at the end of the show and i just wonder if it followed that pattern the idea that it didn't it didn't they just trying to make it more like what happened ordinarily i'll be so, honest i i find it quite offensive that you two are talking <laughs> about these two matches not being a double main event that we've got coming up for the listener <laughs> i mean these are edge of my seat i think these were two piss matches, weren't they? Well, sticking with, sticking with Hogan and Savage, uh, Hogan and Savage, DBRC and Savage for a moment, I thought this was better than their main event of the WrestleMania 4 match. But the, the tournament final is not as good as this match. This is this is a better match. Yeah, uh, the, the, the the best match on... What was the best match on that pay-per-view? I can't remember. Is it the Hogan It's a bad show. Or? It's a really, really bad show. Uh, I mean, I think probably it's Savage and <laughs> DBRC. Well, no, because it is. It's like I know, like because I, I, I think we've had this conversation, Tom, many years ago about WrestleMania Four, and you, you probably had it on VHS and you love it, and because it, it was, a, it was a double VHS as well, wasn't it, back in the day? Yeah. So you probably really have like really fond memories of it. But honestly, it's a terrible fucking show. There's nothing of value on it whatsoever. And probably Savage versus DiBiase in the main event is the best match on that show, and this is better than it. <laughs> so you could say this was the WrestleMania Four play. And I guess that means, I'm not really sure what that means. Well, I guess that I'm means really happy next, with myself. You shouldn't be as happy with yourself because you made that joke like episode three or something. <laughs> You've got to do the callback for the listener. You've got to give them something. Well, I was just about to, but you kept going on about how how happy you were with your, your <laughs> joke, which was that that must mean that the next two matches are the pre-cum matches. Ah, oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> you are a classless individual. I don't, I don't want my ejaculate anywhere near these two matches. No. Thank you very much. And, and I. I certainly don't want my just before ejaculate ejaculate anywhere near the killer bees in the islanders or Kempatera. Well, you've come too early because, quite frankly, we've got a promo before that point, which is Ven- Jesse Ventura interviewing um, both the islanders and Bobby Heenan backstage. Uh, don't oh. know if you, either of you have got any notes on this one. Uh, just the fact that I love the fact that Bobby Heenan's wearing a beekeeper's mask. <laughs> it's it's a lovely little touch. But other than that, I didn't really have much on it. I'll be honest, I'm, even though I like this era, I don't think the Killer Bees were on many pay-per-views as such as I can remember. So I don't really have much of an opinion on the Killer Bees, um, only that... Like, Bret Hart holds them in incredibly high regard. He yeah. mentions them all the time when he mentions the tag teams that he was in. And I've got really no reference point for the Highlanders. I mean, I, was Haku Haku before or after this? Hang on, wait a minute. Let's go back. Let's go back a second. <laughs> the Highlanders. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Tamua, hey. This isn't yeah. Bobby and Rory McAllister from, like, 2007. <laughs> Do you know what? I thought they looked a bit different. <laughs> <laughs> No, Haku and Tama. No, they weren't the Highlanders. I think you may be. I mean, far be it for me to suggest this, Tom. You may be un- overestimating how much of this era you've actually watched, because it is quite early in your love of. And when I say this era, I'm referring to the pay-per-views. There's yeah. a lot of this stuff I haven't seen. But there isn't that many pay-per-views. Like, if you think no. about it, there really isn't. They're like WrestleMania no. Four and then SummerSlam '88 and Survivor Series '88. That's the lot for this year mm. in terms of pay-per-views. So, you know, even if you've watched the pay-per-views, you ain't watching very much of it. If you sort of no. so. See, the problem is I can't watch them because all the wrestling that I watch is taken up by the what we're going to review on this show. <laughs> I've got time to watch anything else. Wait, you've had years and years before now to to catch up on this stuff. Um, no, uh, I think so. That, I think they're both good. Time. I mean, we we've spoken about Haku before. I'm a big fan of Haku. Mm. Um, Tama, of course, is one of the Anuaki 
family. But yeah, I love the Heenan wearing the beekeeper's mask too. I thought that is a quality little touch. And uh, one that, I, again, it's one of those things where if you're able to take some of these gimmicks literally, it just makes everything much easier. Like, oh, you're facing the killer bees. All right, fine. Well, I'll wear, I'll wear yeah. a beekeeping mask then. Makes perfect sense. There is the mild insinuation that the islanders will eat the killer bees and that they've also eaten other animal-based tag teams, which, like, just because they're the islanders, I was just watching it a little bit like, well, obviously, they, they've got previous WWE for having Samoans and the islanders kind of as savages, not Randy savages but uh well they might be bloody horny bastards but uh yeah there, there was a little bit of that but w- once we get into the match it's all forgotten because brian blair's mullet is <laughs> fuck me it, the best thing about this show is his mullet <laughs> it is unbelievable and also they're the killer bees what the fuck is that what kind of gimmick is that weird i'm gonna give uh, Bobby Heenan and the WF a pass on the animal based tag teams line yeah. only because WrestleMania 4 the Islanders face the British Bulldogs. That's right. They do a loot. Thank you. Although they are going to eat Bulldogs. Well, there's a yeah. six man there's a six man tag match. It's the Islanders and Bobby Heenan against Bulldogs and Coco Beware. And so I wonder if that's what he's referencing rather than anything else. Yeah. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt anyway. That's fair. Anyway, back back to the match. So I just I've just gone on to look for pictures of Brian Blair's mother. I obviously went down a bit of a rabbit hole and looked at B. Brian Blair's Wikipedia page. Which is pictures, a very old picture of him, looking very old in 2014. It's out of curiosity. And it said his spouses on there. So he married uh, Mike McGurk and Tony Sabella. So I was like, oh, fair play. He's like an out, openly gay wrestler. No, Mike McGurk is a woman. <laughs> Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Tony is also a woman. Tony's spelled with an I, so that I can understand. But I've never heard of a woman called Mike before. <laughs> she is apparently uh, the daughter of Leroy McGurk, um, but her name is Michael Kathleen McGurk. <laughs> Wow, that is, that is tickled Tom, more than you can imagine. Oh. Hey, Mum, Dad, I'd like you to meet my girlfriend, Michael. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Oh. Hang on, and his name's B, Brian Blair. Mm. Yeah. Killer B? Oh, uh, anyway, back, back to the match. Uh, so, oh, oh, Brian had been busy with Mike. <laughs> Michael's husband is in the ring. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, is, the thing is, is that actually isn't that weird a statement until you consider that Michael is a, a woman. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the thing. Like, it could be Michael could be his husband. Yeah, Hi. I know. And that would be great. Uh, yeah it's just so weird 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 like what strange parents she had that's what i thought of mike like leroy mcgurk was obviously heavily involved in the wrestling industry and that will be why he was so weird because they're all fucking weird aren't they let's be honest yeah that's true so back to the match at hand old tama takes an atomic drop from i think it's uh bronzel it might be it's one of them it's it's one of the bees but he evidently takes the atomic drop in the bollocks because he just crumples on the floor and has to tag out immediately. And uh, to be honest, after that, I'm a bit of a blur because I was laughing my head off. But I did see the well, finish. Well, to be honest, there is, you did see the finish. Yeah, which is embarrassing. So there's terrible refereeing for the roll-up. And so Brunzel gets in to break the pin-up in time. So he's in time oh, yeah. Yeah, to yeah. break the pin-up. 
Referee fucking ignores it. This is the killer bees. I mean, they're the greatest tag team of all time. <laughs> they're fucking screwed out of a nothing match with the Islanders who are going into a pretty big match at WrestleMania. I reckon they're trying to protect them here. I reckon the ref had been paid off. WWF in the, uh, this time is ripe with referee corruption and is a fucking disgrace. Plastic surgery, missed breakups of pins in nothing matches. A fucking disgrace. Well, this whole thing's a bit weird. I mean, the whole thing, I mean, as I said at the beginning of the show, this is actually, it went in the arena, a two out of three falls match. So, Fuck me. You imagine watching this shit for two out of three falls. <laughs> well, it's not very long, is it? So I, I, I assume they just cut it right down and it made it look really, really messy and didn't look. And certainly it meant nothing. It was basically to fill a couple mm. of minutes. Um, and you're at the point of the comp, you're, you're at the point of the show where basically they are just chucking anything out to fill the rest of the time, aren't they? Let's be honest. Like they have about 17 advert breaks during this period. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I don't know if, if it's just a consequence of the way the match was edited, like in post, to get it down to the exact amount of time they needed to fill this little hole. I, I love the fact that, obviously knowing that, even with cutting the match down, they still left the atomic drop to the bollocks in. <laughs> so um Vaxley's interview after this with Slick and One Man Gang, um, where Slick cuts a pretty ferocious prof- uh, pr- promo sorry, on Team USA Olympics. He is not very happy with them whatsoever. To the f- to the point where even Jesse Ventura is not about is not not happy about how how hard he goes in on them. Uh, old man, you you are shaking your head as if like you are completely against Slick in every way. No, I love Slick. I really, really like Slick. But this is such an odd I my note for this is odd hockey based promo slagging off the US Olympic team. I mean it's I don't know where it comes from. Obviously we're watching this a long time afterwards. So it probably made sense at the time. But he's proper going to town. I've just realised why. Because uh, this is on NBC, isn't it? NBC must have had the Olympic coverage. Well, I think the only other thing I can think as well is that they were kind of they kind of positioned Ken Patera as an Olympian because he had been uh, an Olympic. He's power. forty fucking five at this point. He's just stopped clinging on to the past well in fairness like he'd been around for ages in wwf prior to this point they'd obviously brought him back because he was always a heel in the past um but at this point they've obviously kind of tried to tie him into the olympics it is 1988 the Olymp- it's olympic year and they're trying to just get a load out of that uh, ken patera <laughs> the rest of the rest of that angle could have been <laughs> that's exactly what i wrote down <laughs> yeah. he's also uh he's also got he's got a striking resemblance for leo sayer as far as i'm concerned <laughs> there's there's also it's, it's a quote is i don't want to cover too much of this program because at this point at this point i've even though i was still enjoying it i kind of lost interest because the good stuff has already happened but again one man gang gives it the old <laughs> Again, and spits fucking up. everywhere yeah. so it's obviously a thing that he did and that woke you back up basically that got you back into the mat back into the show you were like right come on there boys let's well, exactly. do this another big match one man gang versus ken patera let's have it um so that match happened <laughs> it okay. certainly did one man gang is so shit and like you think of him as being a much improvement when he becomes hakeem the african yeah. dream simply because you know it was all done just to have another dig at Dusty Rhodes again. So, <laughs> so like, but like, yeah, one man gang is awful. I mean, you want to talk about like your bloody egg cup shaped wrestlers again? We're talking about <laughs> King Kong Bundy and, and Mantor. He's got to be up there with them as well, hasn't he? God, he is he is he is probably the worst like i remember that time i think it was one man gang where we were watching tom like years ago yeah. and he, and he too. 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, maybe in WrestleMania, I can't remember. But anyway, whatever show it was, um, one man gang throws a, a knee into someone's stomach, and it is Bigelow. A, I think I think it's Survivor Series eighty-seven. Ah, uh, that would make sense. That makes yeah, sense. Bigelow, he, he does a really slow knee, doesn't he? It's Bigelow. Bigelow sells it like he's in agony. It's the slowest knee ever. I try and I try and like um, put it into a GIF or something and chuck it up on Twitter because it is it's so worth it. It's just oh, it's just brilliant. I remember we were in tears watching yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> absolute tears. One thing I will say about One Man Gang is he works hard to sell Kempatero's offense, but he doesn't do it physically. He just does it audibly. He just like, uh, 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 uh. it was like a little peek behind the curtain as One Man Gang made love to someone. The finish, this is the greatest finish to a match I've, I think I've ever seen because One Man Gang comes off the ropes and I don't even know what he's trying to do, but he effectively just runs into Ken Patera and then pins him. He falls on top of him, effectively. Yeah, that's yeah. It. it's just which again feeds into the one man gang love making. Yes. <laughs> so he, yeah, basically he does a clothesline on Patera, but the clothesline is one of those really, again, really soft, really nothing, and yeah. basically they just both fall to the floor, and one man gang falls on top of him, and that's yes, <laughs> because he pins him off as a oh, Patera. Three minutes, uh, forty-seven seconds, or something to that effect, and uh, yeah, not a classic. Very, very far from a classic um i believe that earlier on oh man you called this the main event which i think is pushing the idea of a main event a little bit too far just because it's I, the last show i think that let's be honest it's really crap i'm not sure if the listener has got that from the way we talk about it. it's not very good <laughs> yeah. but can you imagine waiting for the main event like to be fair they don't try and sell that it's going to be anything but one man gang versus ken patera but yeah like this up until this point this is a good i think it goes for 90 minutes in america with all the ad breaks this is a good 80 minutes of a show and then you get this bloody shit i mean ken patera is he's just not very good anyway and you put him in there with one man gang and ken patera's 45 one man gang is 30 at this point i look that up i mean he looks like he's had a he must have had a tough paper round when he was a bloody kid yeah it's just just a bit disappointed, but then it goes into the Hogan promo. We'll get we'll get to that in a minute, but I think it's just worth saying that the main event is obviously Hogan versus Harley Race. Uh, this is just the last match. I think there's a distinction there we um, need to make. It's the main this. event. It's the main event. <laughs> yes, and then there is a Hogan promo uh, with Mean Gene Okerlund. Weird. That's the only word. Like, he's laughing maniacally. <laughs> it's like he's gone completely insane which is absolutely brilliant but also just pretty odd tell what maybe right just how fucking good hogan was like watching this because he gives he portrays himself very differently in all of the bits that he's in in this show he manages to keep it fresh but yeah just like he's just laughing like a fucking lunatic to the point where I don't think Mean Gene really knows what's going on. Well, the thing I get from it is how important Hulk Hogan was, or at least how they perceived him to be, um, because they actually advertise this as one of the reasons to carry on watching is because you're going to mm. see Hogan speak tonight, even though you've already seen him speak twice and you've seen him in a match and you've seen him um, come down to save Randy Savage from the attack of Andre the Giant and Randy Savage, uh, sorry, Andre, Andre the Giant, Ted DiBiase and the rest of them. So, you know, pretty much they he's been in nearly every single thing going in this show yeah. 
so it kind of that's what it really does for me is just emphasize how important at least the company and probably NBC thought Hogan was to to the importance or the the enjoyment of the viewers uh, experience of this show. It's just disappointing that he didn't get involved in the one man game Ken Patera match, to be honest. <laughs> wow. That probably <laughs> that's the one place in which his continued involvement might have actually improved this show. <laughs> yeah. I think I've only seen a handful of Ken Patera matches. He is so eighty so eighties WWE. It's unbelievable because he's just a massive man that can barely move. Okay, so then we get a whole bunch of adverts, basically. That's what the rest of the show is. Aww. Because this isn't quite the end. There's a back after the backstage interview with Hogan, they go to an advert break. It then comes back to Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura. They talk for a little bit. Then there's another ad break, and then they come back again to Hogan and Ventura, basically for them to just say goodbye. Um, they yeah. must have about seven, as I said, seventeen ad, ad breaks in the last five minutes of the show, which I I can't understand. Even if you're watching live, how why you would even still be kind of tuning in? I think you'd be you'd have tuned out certainly after the Hogan promo, if, if nothing else. So we kind of come. Is there anything else you want to talk about those last bits? I don't imagine there is, but just in case. I'll be honest, I'm still a bit fucked off that you're saying that One Man Gang and Ken Patera isn't the main event. But I will, I'll let it lie because we go back a long way. So I'm not going to let this ruin a friendship. But you're on thin ice, Sonny Jim. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I will certainly take that warning into account. So, uh, yeah, I guess it's time to talk about our, um, our favourite match uh, or match of the night, I suppose, and our ratings for the show. Oh, man, why don't you get us kicked off in that regard? Right. Savage DBRC, match of the night, would probably be match of many nights, to be honest. It's great, even without the shenanigans, it's absolutely brilliant. They could have. I, I would have probably watched them have a little tumble around for another 25 minutes or so. They could have had the whole show just that match, to be honest, and I think I still would have enjoyed it. Uh, lovely to hear Jesse and Vince together. I think they, uh, in particular on this show, we kind of alluded to at the start, like, it's got a lovely dynamic and they seem to be having a good time. In terms of a rating, oh, it's tough because mm-hmm. it's it's an hour, I think it's an hour and eight minutes or something like that. Something like that. From start to finish. And I was never bored. The bits that people I think should enjoy, I loved. So I'm going to I'm gonna say a seven. Okay. I'm going to say a seven. And that is, in terms of in-ring stuff, that's pretty much based on Million Dollar Man and Randy Savage. But in terms of the whole thing, because I think it does a very decent job of selling WrestleMania 4, which is obviously its prime objective. Yeah, I just think as a show, it works. Like you said at the start, Ben, it's, it's fast-paced. It's exciting. You've got a heck of a main event. What more do you want? Ken Patera, one man gang, you mean? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> finally. Finally, some fucking sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and... Uh, to be honest, my abiding memory of this will be the Hogan promo that ends it, which I think is the sign of a good show because think because it's fucking nuts. And I loved it. Go on, Hogan. Also, what they're building up to WrestleMania 4, aren't they? So it makes sense yeah. for Hogan basically hyping up his potential match, well, his match with Andre the Giant in the way that they well, did. And, and obviously, spoiler alert, it ends in a schmoz with a double disqualification, which just opens it up lovely because he's been so the focus of winning the title that suddenly he's not there. And like you you said earlier, Tinky, with the, uh, with the tournament, just opens it up. Who's going to win it? Just to put it in perspective, old man, this is not meant to sway your rating at all, but just to put it in perspective, seven is the highest rating you've given any show so far. Um, yeah. Equal equal with No Way Out 2000 and Royal Rumble 92. 
just wanted to put it into context uh, of your previous course. 100% agree with that. I'm tempted to go 7.1, but we're not doing decimals. No, we're not doing decimals anymore. Just go fuck yourselves. Thomas? Uh, I, I really liked it. So it won't be to anybody's, uh, anybody's surprise. So I'm going to give it a... I think I'm going to give it... I think I'm tempted to go 7 as well. I, the only thing that would stop it from being an 8, in my opinion, would be the running order of it. If it was formatted slightly differently, so if they had kept it the same, but just had the Randy Savage um, match uh, with Ted DiBiase close it out, I think that would have kept it. Because after the Savage match and then Angle afterwards with, with Hogan and, and Andre and, and DiBiase and Virgil, I, I did start to uh, not peter out, but it, it, it didn't hold the same, didn't grip me in the same way, should I say. So with a slight tweak in it, it could have been an eight. But I'm going to give it a strong seven. And the match of the night, yeah, is is obviously the uh, the match and Angle containing uh, Randy Savage and Ted DiBiase. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, in terms of, for me, uh, match tonight is obviously DBRC versus Savage. As I said, better than the main event of WrestleMania that comes a few weeks after this. Look, I, I struggle to give it anything higher. I'm giving it a six, and I, I struggle to give it anything higher than that because simply it's not a piece of artistic content. It's, it's that simple as far as I'm concerned. This is a hour-long Saturday night primetime television show. I won't remember it probably for any longer than I will remember, as I said earlier on, uh, an episode of Ant and Dex Saturday Night's Takeaway. It's just, boom, here, go here, boom, over there, advert break, promo, match, another promo, another promo, another promo, another advert, Vince McMahon and Jesse, match, etc., etc. It just moves fast. It's perfectly enjoyable, but it is completely fluff there's nothing you'll take away for the long term i think that i think um, i come to it with from a slightly different conclusion in that similar to how i felt about the saint valentine's day massacre did they achieve their desired outcome and which i believe they did um, yeah I think that's, that's yeah what what's interesting about what tommy just said about like clash of champions five achieving what I, mean, I think it's very different watching and reviewing these type of shows because i think as well you're never going to be disappointed with the payoff are you because you know this isn't the payoff yeah this is i think that's why i enjoyed it so much because the expectation is lower and also it helps that it's an hour and eight minutes I think that's why I rate it so highly as well. It's because it never gets the chance to outstay its welcome. If it was the full 90 minutes with the adverts, Mm. if I'd watched this on NBC with all the adverts, I may feel differently about it. But as it is, just love it. No, I mean, no, what, but that's the point. I was, I was trying to say, like, I don't think it's a bad show at all. I think it's. Perfect. I just you don't. Hate think, it. I just don't price. think you can see it anything more than average because it, it. In fact, I was kind of like on the borderline between five and six as a rating. But then I thought, actually, in terms of the matches that are here, in terms of the general quality and the in, and the interest, there is at all times something to keep you occupied, except for the fact that, as Tom said. There is a fall off in the last few minutes. The last sort of 10 minutes or so is a bit boring, a bit pointless and a bit kind of does does stop holding your attention. So I, I can't give it any more than a six, but that's not to say it's bad. And it does exactly everything it sets out to do. I think it's very important also to say that it's not a show that anyone expected anybody to ever watch again let alone review it and analyze it in any way. Nobody who sat down to make this show, just as I say, just in the same way as when somebody's making an episode of I don't know, Pop Stars or X Factor or whatever, like nobody's sitting, sitting down going, oh, we better make sure this is this holds up to repeat viewing because that's not the point of the show. It's there to just be a show that you watch in the moment with your family. And because even in this day and age, there are many shows Despite the, the numbers of channels that are out there, there are many shows that the whole family could sit down and watch, which is why 
Saturday night television prime time is still a kind of quite important thing with, with X Factor and with Strictly Come Dancing and all those kinds of things. So that's what this is. It's one of those, you know, it's as close as, as well. This period of time is as close as wrestling ever came to being mainstream, you know, in America. It's, it's properly in in the mainstream on NBC on Saturday nights. That's massive. So it's not I'm not absolutely not kind of rating it down. I'm just saying, like, you can't it's never built to be rewatched and analyzed in the same way as most of the stuff back here back at this time wasn't. And so it's really hard to give it a low rating just because there aren't any like five star matches or whatever but but also it, it does hold your hold your attention all the way through i'll tell you what one other thing about it is if aw or wwe or impact or somebody was making shows an hour long weekly that had the same kind of fast-paced format with shorter matches lots of promos lots of stuff going on really fast like this i'd be watching every single week because yeah, yeah. it is completely watchable it is there is not a moment where i'm like oh god this is such a chore like it, it, it you it wouldn't be like you wouldn't get your five-star matches on it but i'm not looking for that that is this is what i'm looking for if i'm looking for the five-star matches that's when i expect to see them on a pay-per-view or a show that i've specifically bought into to watch but when it comes to the kind of stuff that's carrying the storyline along and promoting stuff for the future this is what i'm looking for looking for so you know i'm not as i said it's not a negative review i just it's hard to rate it any higher than a six for me because that's about as high as the ceiling that it could hit in my opinion so we've realized now that tinky hates saturday night's main event <laughs> hates wwf and oh do i ever and isn't a fan of kempatera which is the most shocking thing in all yeah, this that's true i try I, I gotta confess not a fan of kempatera do you think anybody has ever said you know what i like kempatera i'm a big fan of him and his work he's <laughs> really good i'm gonna go back and watch some matches well when i get through with the edit of this old man that's exactly what that last sentence will yes. say <laughs> yes yes <laughs> then people will know i'm a mark for kempatera so we've just about covered everything we could possibly want to cover from Saturday Night's Main Event 15. Um, and um, I, at this point, it falls to me to say that we've had some te- technical difficulties. And now Tom is basically, I don't know, hiding under a pillow or something. I don't know what's going on. He just he, he's decided that he's um, he's so upset that his computer seems to have died on him that uh, he's uh, he's now on his phone under a little pillow. How are you doing, Tom? You all right? Oh, hear me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you know what that means, though? You know what the fact that we've got through the show means? It is time for the game. It is yes. the time for the game. And I am hosting this week, and uh, I've got a very special little uh, quiz for you lined up. It's not a particularly imaginative one. I've gone relatively down the uh, the same path as you boys in the past. So we are going to be naming this week WCW World Champions. The WCW World title existed from the 11th of January 1991 through to the 9th of December 2001, at which point it was obviously amalgamated with the WWE Championship to create the undisputed title in the WWE. So um, there is a tiny crossover when it was in the WWE, but for the most part, this is uh, the all-encompassing history of WCW from the 11th of January 91 to the 9th of December 2001. Uh, I can see some concerned faces right now, especially on old man's face. He is not looking forward to this. Bloody hell. So, uh, yeah, good luck with this. Um, I thought this might be a bit of a challenge. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, this, this really kind of um, goes to the fact that these boys in particular are not specifically WCW aficionados. Um, so we should have a bit of fun here. There are, I'll also tell you what, there is a potential for a draw if you get all the answers right. Um, because there's an even number. There's only 22 names on the list. 
which is not as many as you might imagine but yes only 22 Wow. So uh, I think we'll start with old man given just the just the sheer amount of of concern on his face right now. We'll start with old man. Okay. Hulk Hogan. Yeah, nice, nice easy yes. guy. Yes, Hulk Hogan is correct. Yes, you could have said Hollywood Hogan as well because obviously he was champion as Hollywood Hogan as well. He won his first title, by the way, the first night in the company. Of course he uh, did. Uh, Sting. Thing is correct. That's right. When it n- numerous times, I've I've got this in a little list on a spreadsheet separate to the, the title uh, record, so I can't tell you exactly how many times. We did win it on a number of occasions. I think the first time we won it was in 1992. Booker T. Correct. And you know how many times he's won the WCW title, so you don't need me to go into that. Six times. <laughs> <laughs> um, Vader. Big Van Vader. Yes, beat, beat Sting for the belt back in. Uh, I think again in 1992. So yes, and he won it three times, I think, in total. It's me. It's me. It's DDP. Diamond Dallas Page is correct. First time he won it was in uh, 1999. Um, I will go Ric Flair. Ric Flair, a safe, a safe bet. You would, you would think. <laughs> uh, he was the man who uh, he, he won it pretty much when he came back. Um, to WCW after his stint in WWF and uh, also was the man to drop it to Hogan the first time Hogan won the belt uh, Randy Savage Randy Macho Man Savage indeed he won the title uh, and again I can't tell you exactly when I think it was like 96 maybe when he first won the belt uh, The Rock is correct yes the penultimate champion of the WCW title mm, that's good that's good uh, Goldberg Oldberg is correct. Famously won it for the first time at the Georgia Dome in 1998 on Monday Nitro. Um, Ravishing Rick Rude. Ravishing Rick Rude is incorrect, Thomas. Oh, really? Yes, did not win the WCW World Championship. And Old Man went first, so he's actually won it. Old Man has taken the victory. I I actually had a couple up my sleeve as well. Although, to be honest, I'm only wearing a T-shirt, so I'm so short sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> I still had to go Lex Luger, Scott Steiner, the Giant, Jeff Jarrett and Kevin Nash. That's ridiculous because all of them are correct. Why you went for Rick Rude, I'll never know. <laughs> oh. sure, I'm sure he did, but evidently not. So I know he did main event in, in WCW, didn't he? But obviously he didn't win the title. That's annoying. Uh, the only addition to that that I know is David Arquette. Yeah, I got him as well. And yes. uh, I had the... One questionable ad was Steamboat. No. Just give you the rundown then. So you may have said some of these and some may not, but let's just go through the full list. So Lex Luger was one of the first WC, was the first WCW champion uh, after Ric Flair, I should say. Um, then it was Sting, Big Van Vader, Ron Simmons. Should have uh-huh. got that one. Um, Hulk Hogan, The Giant, Randy Savage, Goldberg, Kevin Nash, Diamond Dallas Page, Brett the Hitman Hart, uh-huh. Chris Benoit, Sid Vicious, Jeff Jarrett, David Arquette, which you said, Vince Russo, Scott Steiner, Kurt Angle, and then Chris Jericho was the final WCW World Champion. And, of course, he he was the one who won the title unification match to become the first ever undisputed champion in, uh, at the end of Jeff 2001. Jeff Jarrett. Yes, how, Jeff Jarrett won the title, I think, four times. How, what do you feel about that? I, I, I feel basically that he won it because Vince Russo was the booker and he was his best mate. And um, basically that's what happened. I mean, like none of his title reigns were at all um, memorable. He won the title four times, but to win the four title, the title four times, that means you also have to lose it uh, as many uh, times. 
classic tinky and they all happened within the space of about six months so it really wasn't a very important reign uh, at all but i mean ultimately i can't argue with the way jeff jarrett has parlayed it into a legacy that suggests that he's much more important than he is so yeah he's done pretty well there do so you I, think he's better or worse than ken patera <laughs> for the time for the time maybe Patera's better I mean Patera certainly headlined a lot of major WWF shows in his time so you know well yeah as as we've just demonstrated because he, <laughs> he, he headlines the shit out of this one so I did uh, so what I'm going to do now is give you the scores because obviously we have now gone three full rounds of the game we've all hosted three times so the scores currently um Tom and old man, you both have two victories at the moment, and uh, I have five. So I'm, I'm 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 kind of showing myself off a little bit more than I wanted to there. But but you know it was requested as to where we were in terms of the overalls, and that's where we are. So you've won five out of six, Tinky. It's interesting that you fixed it for yourself. <laughs> well, you beat me, uh, old man. You were the one. Am I? I did. So far. Like a government mule. <laughs> 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 like a red-headed stepchild <laughs> Ken Patera in one of his promos so um I'm gonna I'm gonna end the show right there because I mean I, I simply it's gonna be hard hard to put up with Tom's kind of audio quality for any longer on his phone um and I don't want to subject anyone to it for very long um but thank you for joining us today and of course um make sure you know you follow us along on Twitter in, Instagram Facebook at RWR Pod UK if you could it would be a massive massive help if you could rate and review uh, our podcast on whatever podcasting app you are listening to this on It'd be a massive help for us uh, indeed uh Tom how, uh, thanks for joining me today cheers mate and old man thank you as well it's been a pleasure thank you very much Tinky. thanks tommy it's been a delight talking about that show keep keep your eyes peeled to our twitter at rwr pod uk on wednesday to see what we'll be covering next week keep safe and remember ken patera i feel like i don't need to do the final outro but well, i will do anyway uh, until then take care